0: I have an ability to help maybe change those stigmas as somebody with an online platform that can share their own story and maybe show like, look, if you think that I'm an okay human being who also struggles with these things, hopefully that can make you feel like you might be an okay human being as well. And so I just made a decision at that point, you know what, I'm gonna start being more open about sharing my story of mental mental health.
1: Several years ago, I started seeing a pattern in my clinical work. Powerful, strong, capable leaders were coming in my office face down, burdened with anxiety and self doubt. What stood out to me with many of the leaders coming in and seeing me and was the catalyst to me getting into the coaching space was the common connection with the inciting incident that led to their collective face down moments. What so many of the people I've worked with over the years had in common was the deep shame for not being fixed quickly and feeling like a complete failure because they could not keep up the appearances of praying more and manifesting more their way out of their pain. I kept hearing again and again from my clients the need to reprogram their brains and release, eradicate, level up their mindset. And then they knew they'd feel better, except no amount of reprogramming or mindset work made them feel better. I'm Rebecca Ching, and you're listening to The Unburdened Leader, the show that goes deep with leaders whose burdens have inspired their life's work. Our goal is to learn how they've addressed these burdens, how they rise from them and become better and more impactful leaders of themselves and others. Quick-fix solutions abound for mental health challenges, and they're part of a long and glorious, not-so-glorious history of mental health hacks like Think and Grow Rich or The Power of Positive Thinking, How to Win Friends and Influence People, and more recently, The Big Leap and The War of Art. As leaders, we're fed the same advice over and over again. And the leaders I saw in my practice had tried all of that, of course. They'd done the one-size-fits-all thought work designed to alleviate their gloom and get them back on the road to success. But all of that generic advice had come up short. There was no regard for their unique nervous system. No acknowledgement that family of origin and difficult life experiences and systemic oppression can continue to have echoes and impact us in the present. They shared with me the belief they were doing things wrong and were broken because they did not experience the results promised them. Now, these claims made little sense to me as someone who is a specialist in working with those healing from trauma, anxiety, shame, and food and body struggles for two decades. So I started to do some research and check out the sources of these learnings And found people and programs and organizations using this kind of prosperity and overcoming language without any regard to the spectrum of mental health and well-being. There seems to be this unfortunate wall up on how we approach mental well-being. And I believe a lot of harm happens when we offer quick fix promises to shame, discomfort, and struggle. The message was consistent, especially in these entrepreneurial and leadership spaces that anything that was not positive and forward thinking was weak, and any failings were the personal responsibility of the individual. They were simply struggling because their mental fortitude was weak. And this is where I call BS emphatically. When I see whip smart innovators trying to hack mental health well-being, I mean, I get why they're doing this. I mean, hacking health is clearly big business in a burdened mental health care system. And oh my goodness, the mental health field needs to be shaken up on how we train, license and deliver services. But instead of trying to overcome mental health, I believe we need to look at what we're doing in our own lives and in the spaces we lead and in how we are cultivating mental health, not just trying to overcome it. Because many of the offerings further stigmatize mental health struggles, failure, doubt, to the point where people fake it till they make it, and then end up face down in a serious mental health crisis. The overly positive approaches offered no room for real human experiences in life and business. And I believe we as leaders and business owners have a responsibility to offer something other than quick fixes or band-aids that don't really fix but instead to do the work to create spaces for the nuances of life to show up. When you choose to care more about well-being than results, you cultivate a space that values well-being in ways that do not sacrifice your values or your profit. But to really live this out takes a deeper commitment than just messaging. It involves a commitment to ongoing personal work so you have the capacity to hold space the real and messy. And it also involves normalizing mental health struggles and how we talk about our struggles to create common humanity, not just a marketing funnel. There have been a lot of changes in how we work and their forecasts that show entrepreneurial work is going to continue to grow. I see this as an opportunity for so many to do meaningful work in ways that meet their needs financially, but also support their emotional well-being along with those who work with them. We need to make mental health a priority in our businesses. How we approach mental well-being can shift the stigmas around struggle while honoring the whole person with as much care as our bottom line. And I am so excited for you to hear from today's Unburdened Leader guest who can speak to this important and nuanced conversation about the intersection of entrepreneurship and mental well-being as a longtime entrepreneur and also someone who's had to reclaim his relationship with his mental health. Jason Van Orden is the owner of Van Orden Marketing and helps authors, academics, and speakers turn their intellectual equity into new streams of scalable income and a business model that amplifies their work. As a consultant, trainer, and strategist, he draws from more than 16 years of experience, including creating multiple successful brands, launching over 60 online courses, teaching more than 10,000 entrepreneurs, and earning seven figures in online course sales while generating 8 million downloads of his podcast. His mission is to help visionaries with impactful ideas, to connect with the people they serve best and the problems they can most uniquely solve. Now listen for how Jason realized how the stigmas around his mental health struggles kept him from showing up and sharing this part of his life with his friends, colleagues, and clients. Pay attention to what Jason realized was costing him by staying silent about his journey with mental health. And notice what Jason experienced when he leaned into boundary authenticity and started sharing more about his struggle with mental health. Now please welcome Jason Van Norden, to the Unburdened Leader podcast. Jason, welcome to the Unburdened Leader podcast.
0: Hi, Rebecca. Yeah, it's my pleasure to be here.
1: I'm really looking forward to this conversation. And I'd love to go back in time as we kick off our conversation and go back to when you were 25 years old Mm. and your father revealed some information about himself and your family that helped you connect the dots on how you were experiencing life. And I'd love for you to share what your father shared with you that day and also what you were thinking as this news sunk in.
0: Yeah, I love this question. It's a topic, as you know, it's near and dear to my heart. Uh, Yeah, he said, you know, there's something you should know about our family that may may be insightful for you. And he revealed that he had been struggling with some anxiety and depression and started taking medication, uh, I think a couple of years before that. And that he'd found it quite helpful. And he said, yeah, you know, your grandpa, he struggled with this as well, had taken medication for a little while. Um, and that I had, you know, an aunt and uncle and other family members as well that had struggled. So it was like, you know, in in the family culture, DNA, whatever, that that you know, these mental health challenges had been showing up. And so you know, it occurred to him that perhaps that was something that would show up for me as well, which I appreciated him bringing up, because who knows how, how long it might have taken to go like, oh, something's going on here, and I'm not sure what, because the moment he said that, it, it, it made sense. He's like, you know, you, you might realize that you're reacting over, I don't know, he didn't want to use the word overreacting, but just reacting in a way that doesn't feel like you. Or that sometimes things just trigger you in ways that you, you know, wouldn't wouldn't normally or otherwise want to respond to them. And so, if if any of that's going on for you, you might want to talk to a, a health professional about it. So I decided to go ahead and and talk to a family doctor about it at the time. And uh, you know, for for the first time in my time in my life, was uh, diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder and uh, started taking medication.
1: So. For over a decade you kept your experiences with anxiety private and didn't share about these struggles with anyone outside of your immediate family and your partner. And I'm curious what was going through your mind as you decided to keep that information close to your heart.
0: I mean, thankfully the medication made it so I was, you know, for the most part doing doing better. And so just kind of going on and, and living my life and having, you know, some of the the usual still ups and downs that sometimes we we have um but yeah i didn't i didn't share with anybody that i was on medication in order to be the the person that i that i was to be a little more i guess even keel if you want to say and it just felt very vulnerable to reveal that to anybody and I, i have come to realize that that's tied up in you know, so much of the stigmas, some so many of the stigmas that we have out there about mental health, um, they can it can make you feel like you're flawed, something's wrong with you. You know, people can have assumptions about, and that's that's always been like a huge trigger for me. If somebody makes an assumption about me based on inadequate information, so you know, that's exactly what I did not want to happen. So I opted to just not share that information even with a business partner of mine at, you know at the time that I've been working with for years. And you know as somebody who had an online profile, I didn't want that affecting how people saw me or potential clients who might work with me. And so I just decided to to keep it close to my close to the vest at the time is ultimately what I ended up doing for yeah over a decade.
1: What did you discover when you started to talk about your mental health struggles and your professional circles?
0: Yes, yeah, so the first time that I decided to really r- reveal what was going on was in the context of um, you know, some close colleagues that uh, we were in a, a mastermind together. Um, and I know that you know you and I were in a mastermind for a while too, and I can't remember, I think actually I had started sharing it some, yeah, with you all as well. So it was with, with you and a couple other friends of ours that we were in a mastermind in for business. And then I went on a trip to another one and I was just really struggling at the time. Like things had just been descending to like a, a darker, darker place, uh, just harder to like find motivation on a daily basis. You know, I'd come to find out later, it was like medication had stopped working and there are other situational things going on as well. And so I decided, okay, you know what? It, 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 well, as I was going on this trip, because it was in uh, another state, this this meetup with this group of other entrepreneurs, You know, I thought I was going there to have, have my usual conversations about, hey, here's what I'm thinking about doing my business. What do you guys think? Anything here I'm not seeing? What ideas do you have me? Just kind of like that kind of like, I don't know, logistical business stuff. When I got there and and thankfully a couple of other people showed that example of being very vulnerable in front of the group, which just makes those things a lot more beneficial to everyone where everyone's really willing to be real. Right. And when I saw the great response that these couple of other individuals got about some really tough struggles that they were going through and, and insecurities and fears that they were dealing with, I was like, okay, clearly this is what I need to talk about as well. Mm -hmm. And so I did. And I remember being really nervous before I I brought it up. And, um, but Yeah, the 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 support that was expressed and out of, you know, was so helpful. And out of uh, 10 people, you know, three of us had all been on medication at some point and and dealt with, uh, you know, mental health challenges, which entrepreneurs do at a higher degree than the general population, whether that's a chicken or egg thing, I I don't know if the research has shown that or not yet. But and so I immediately just felt this huge like weight lift from my shoulders because I expressed this stuff and I didn't immediately die, which is exactly what my psyche thought was gonna happen. You will be ostracized, rejected, therefore death, right? That's what the evolutionary brain is telling us. Do not share this information it's going to be bad news. And that's not what happened. It was so supportive, uh, a weight lifted, uh, you know, Brene Brown, You know, who I know you studied a lot as well, studied with, talks about shame and silence, right? It's silence is what feeds shame. And so that shame started shrinking. And over the next few months, I thought, you know, I just started rethinking, why have I been so silent about this? Because clearly, know, the stigmas have kept me quiet. So, well, I have an ability to help maybe change those stigmas as somebody with an online platform that can share their own story and maybe show like, look, if you think that I'm an okay human being who also struggles with these things, hopefully that can make you feel like you might be an okay human being as well. Right. And and so I just made a decision at that point, you know, I'm going to start being more open about sharing my story of mental mental health and it felt freeing to not be uh, to, to yeah have that as such an isolated thing anymore and it further dissolved the shame that I had around having dealt with anxiety and depression
1: thank you for sharing that story I really appreciate it and I I suspect there be there might be folks listening going wow Jason very cool very courageous but I'm I'm not sure I'm not sure I could do that and so right. I, I can I, can I get a little more granular about that moment sure. you're with your 10, fr- 10 colleague friends group and you're seeing this vulnerability, it's, it's, it's kind of shifting to not just business talk, but real human whole person talk, not just the right. business side. Right. Right. And you're feeling, yeah. And you're feeling like, Oh, this, the sense I, I I need to, I want to share. Can you Bring us back to that like, kind of internal rumble where you're like, do I share? Do I not share? And what contributed to you stepping into your courage just to show up and really be seen in this part of your life?
0: I, I knew that something that I did when I ended up, when, when I would get really caught up in the in- in the mental health challenges and they were really raging was, was isolating myself. And part of that was, was shame. Part of that was just feeling like I don't want to burden anybody else with my problems. I don't, you know, so all those things that go through your mind, but I had also thankfully like read enough along the way to know that, that's the very thing that then just makes it worse and you start feeling more and and, you know, anxiety plays all these tricks on your brain and starts making you feel like, yeah, see, nobody wants to associate with you, even though it's this just self-fulfilling thing of like, well, I'm not going to associate with anyone because of my anxiety or whatever. And so um, that was one thing that was in my mind was like, I need to reverse that. I need to, I need to stop isolating, which is one reason why I decided to go to this mastermind. I thought, okay, yeah, I'm getting out I'm but then also in the sharing too, like that was also breaking the isolation so i I had seen this like spiral that i had I had been in, and I wanted to do I was ready to do anything to try something to reverse that um spiral. And like I said, like, I, I don't know if I would have had it not been for thankfully, you know, a couple other people who had shared their vulnerable, you know, their vulnerabilities first, right? And, and vulner- like one of the fastest ways, I think, to earn other people's trust is that you trust them first. And so thankfully, somebody in the group had done that first and set that um, example. So that was another contributing factor. It's like, oh, they were vulnerable. Nobody ostracized them or tried you know made fun of them or whatever our brains might be tricking us that might happen and you know so it was just taking those little steps and feeling a little more comfortable and being open and vulnerable in that way that led to finally being like you know what i i can do a podcast interview about this i can write articles on linkedin about this in fact i want to i can send email newsletters out to my list about this but I had to start small first.
1: I really appreciate you sharing that and kind of reverse engineering that. Um, Obviously, because of our work during that time, you know, being on the mastermind, I have a little insight that this group that you went to of ten, you you know, one of your best friends was in that group. You had strong relationships, and it wasn't an online. This wasn't broadcast live. This was a container that was private that um, boundaries were set about what's okay to share and not share outside of this kind of cohort of experiences. So I think that's just something to keep reminding um, that you started small, you started with folks you trusted. I'm hearing too from you, Jason, there was a readiness. There was like enough of, you know when i sent self energy there was enough self leadership a sense of when we were isolate we're protecting with isolating to the point where it's not protecting it's hurting i need and there was enough inner negotiation to step in to some safe containers and then once you sat with wow that felt good that felt healing that felt freeing there was spaciousness there was almost a sense of i want to share more not because of any other agenda than this feels important not for your well-being but as a contribution you wanted others to experience that too am i recalling that correctly
0: absolutely and so when i realized how because i really do feel like that moment was you know i still had an uphill climb and i you know went and saw a psychiatrist and got more help there and you know just other steps for you know therapy and so forth but um it was a moment of kind of like reversing that that spiral spiral was so helpful for me. and so yeah, I, I figured like hey if if something about my story can help somebody take that one little step in the right direction, then isn't that worth whatever quote unquote risk of sharing you know, which now I just don't feel like is really a, a, a a risk or a cost for me anymore, anything that might happen from sharing openly, but um, that it was worth it to to put that out there for the benefit of anybody who who might hear it and and gain something from hearing my story.
1: That's, that's a really interesting point that it, it doesn't feel as vulnerable. I'm sure it's still vulnerable sharing who you are, but the risk and cost does not feel as great as it used to. Just sharing, this is a part of you and this is a part of your story what what shifted there? What shifted where the cost didn't feel as great as it did initially?
0: Well, for one thing, I have learned quite a bit over the last few years that it's uh, one of the things that was costing me was a lack of authenticity and a nu- numerous, I'm not talking about just in not sharing my mental mm. health, but just like not allowing myself to show up as myself in, in all kinds of micro and macro ways in my life and relationships. And so this was one more way that you know that i could reverse that and do that and so it i realized it's a greater risk not to share this part of myself like to to get to the end of your life and not have just like shown who you are to the world for whatever benefit that can be just suddenly that cost seemed bigger to me for one wow now you know i talked about the little by little testing out sharing and and of course you know, when you don't, the bad thing doesn't happen that your brain convinced you was going to happen. Well, then it feels a little safer next time. So, you know, just like a toddler going a little farther away from their mom at the playground the next time, and then they come back to their mom and then they go a little farther away and then they come back. And, and so bit by bit, you start feeling safer and like, okay, the bad things aren't happening. And then I just also started realizing, look, like anybody who is going to have that kind of like any kind of adverse adverse reaction to this or decide they don't want to work with me which i'll probably never be aware of for one but number two like in the end do i want to have you know attract friends relationships and online audience clients colleagues whatever based on you know a a false facade or you know i want i want the people who really appreciate who who i am and and i also i i preach every day to my clients like show up as you who you really are and that can mean a lot of things right and again everyone has to decide what feels safe to them but this was an area that i was not doing what i was preaching to my clients it's like these things your values and who you are and your unique perspective and the struggles you've been through you know and i work, work with a lot of people who have a message to share online and why they want to stand out in the world and rise above the noise and i tell them the best way you have to do that is like to be what i call resonant somebody vibes with who you are how you make them feel how you think how you help them think the stories you tell the commonalities they see and who you are and who they are the shared meaning that you have and so it's like okay i i need to put more of that into my brand, that's just going to be a lot more meaningful. And I think as I got into my 40s, I started thinking more about big vision stuff. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I like what I do as a business strategist, but I also want to make contributions to bigger things. And absolutely, mental health is one of them. So being silent is not a good way to do that anymore.
1: Part of Brene Brown's tenets of shame resilience is speaking your shame story to those who've earned the right to... Right. hear it and that's really what you're modeling and and then so tell me when you decide to share now that that's got there's more spaciousness and it's also more aligned for you to share about mental health how do you discern where you're sharing personal stuff versus what's private and sacred and not for the public eye what is your mm. process there because that's still still something a lot of people are struggling with <laughs> <That> yeah <you're-
0: laughs> totally I, first of all, I think there's a a key element of time and space. And so what I mean by that Mm -hmm. is I'm probably not going to write on LinkedIn about, you know, some big struggle I just had yesterday or something I'm still wrestling with or figuring out or some new realization about myself in a way I want to improve, you know, whereas I'm, I, I feel better sharing stuff. that's like, okay, I've sat with this for a while. I've done Journaling, talking to friends, my partner, whatever, like, and and worked through this to where now I can feel confident that I have some level of clarity and truth to what I'm realizing here about myself or the world or mental health in general, as opposed to like, hey, here's just some hot off the presses thing or that I'm in the middle of right now. Because what i don't want to do is 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 use my platform just to be self-indulgent either right and and be like hey i'm just going to use this to like i don't know feel better about myself i mean i'm not saying i don't i do feel good about myself when i share these things but you know what i mean like i don't want it to be about me primarily and so one of the biggest things i think is is just that time and and space um i mean certainly if it involves anybody else i always you know consider them and you know do i need to get their permission or anonymize it or or whatever might be appropriate there. But anything that's like more in the history, like you started with that, you know, hey, when you were 25 and that's a story I have published to LinkedIn. I'm fine like telling it in my newsletter, or whatever. You know, that's I've had twenty years plus of of processing how, you know, learning about anxiety and taking medication and going on and off of it in time. Like, so that's all stuff I've been through and processed and experienced and learned about through experience and reading and whatever. And, and so I just feel more comfortable sharing that stuff.
1: You, you said something that I, th- I think a lot of folks might rumble with too, and that is you know you don't want it to be all about you or to be self-indulgent, and I wonder you probably hear this from the clients you work with too. You're like, share your story, and they're like, oh no, I don't want to be that seems self-absorbed, or I don't want to, you know, that like it's for me, especially from those folks who've been on lockdown and really are yeah. keeping, you know, just the the pearls of their heart private when uh, you know folks would benefit hearing and learning from them. What have you said to yourself in the past when you've wrestled with? Is or how do you ne- negotiate is this self-indulgent? You touched on a little bit, but I just want to like circle back to that a little bit more because I think so many people still say silent for fear of erring in that area. So maybe what would you what would you say to those folks?
0: I mean, I guess one of the first things I'd say is imagine when you were in the midst of wrestling with this stuff. And like, what do you wish? somebody might have said to you what would have given you permission what would have given you uh, i don't know just normalizing or feeling validated or seen like and and or or think of a time when that has happened for you i mean going back to i think other things that helped me finally start sharing is i think i i started realizing wow when people are open with me it's super helpful so now i want to do right so i think that's one thing i'd say is like well imagine if or when you know, and imagine now if even for one person or two or three or five, let alone, you know, you, you might. And you just never you never know, um, you know, and sometimes it'll be weeks, months, even years later. I'll hear from somebody that's like, yeah, that thing you said is super helpful and it's always stuck in my my mind. And so, you know, I think we all have this inner need or want desire to, to continue to make a contribution to the world, to leave it a better place, to, so to speak, right? And one of the best ways we can do that, I think, is just to share who we are and our story for whatever it can do to benefit others. And then at the same time, say, like, look, you know, if you're not ready, you're not ready, but, uh, you know, here those are things to consider. And um, try to paint a bigger vision of, look, this, this is, a huge issue in our modern day and we're just starting to see how big of an issue mental health is and massive change is needed and the only way that that's going to happen is just more people talking and 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 showing up keeping it top of mind so those are the things i would say
1: i think another piece that's tricky if folks are thinking about sharing just their own journey with mental health is it ebbs and flows Right. Isn't this thing that, oh, wow, I have this diagnosis um, or this, you know, this way that my brain works. <laughs> and then I address it with treatment, medication, whatever that, the thing. And then I live the rest of my life. <laughs> right. When in fact, it, it really is more of an ebb and flow, um, mm-hmm. you know, with the impact of treatment, with accessibility of treatment and care.
0: Right. And
1: I'd, I'd love for you to share and just walk me through what you felt and did when your, you know, anxiety and depression treatment stopped working.
0: Yeah. So, okay. So there's a couple times. So, so at first I did just start taking medication. We talked about that when I was 25 and for like the next decade, I just took it. And that was, I'm sorry, I had one summer and I don't remember why. Oh, I think I'd moved temporarily somewhere, had to get the prescription renewed that was, And so I'm like, okay, maybe I'll try going off for a bit. Did not go well, (laughs) did not go well. So that was a big like wake-up call like okay you don't just go willy-nilly with this stuff and I do clearly still this is is helping me so it went back on it still many many years went by and then it was uh you know finally and it, it, here's the hard thing is it's so weird like sometimes you realize when it finally you realize something's changed and it's often it's not right and then you think back and it's like Oh my gosh, it's been like a year now, and I just haven't, and I don't know, maybe that's just me. And I was just like, I just haven't noticed, or I haven't, or whatever. It just like had to read, reach a certain certain threshold. And I think I go through, would usually go through a period of like, I don't know, am I, you know, and kind of second guessing myself. Maybe this is just circumstantial, maybe it's not whatever. And then finally I get to the point where it's like, okay, maybe I used to check in with a a a professional here just to get their, you know, their their input. Um and so that's always good to have like their validation because they'll ask you good questions. Assuming it's a good professional and knows what they're doing, so you know they'll ask you good questions and kind of tell you it's like, yeah, we might need to try something different here or or whatever. So when it when it comes to like medication and therapy, there was always kind of this sometimes like on again and off again, kind of depending on on what was going on. But then as I got to this point where. I don't know. I guess I would just call it like you know. Some people would call it midlife crisis. There's a great book that calls it the middle passage. But just like we reach this point in life where you start looking at life differently. Maybe it was having my kid. I don't know, but that I started looking into more. and I'm like, I'm not going to just keep just taking medication and and it's just going to be fine the rest of my life. There's more to deal with here. And and I always kind of knew even during that whole decade of just taking medicine, like eventually. I'm going to have to dig deeper this isn't the end of this story now the next few years i feel like i was on this search for like well there's one key thing out there for me and if i can just find it i'll finally solve this right and so (laughs) and like i learned about ifs from you which is great and is one great tool you know internal family systems and like parts and all that and and that's been one great tool a framework a thing that i've gone to that kind of therapy and it's helped me at times and I think I probably was like, oh, this is finally it, right? And it did make its contribution. And then since then, I there have been, you know, and I've learned more about self-compassion that's been key. I, I was finally just listening to some book at a time and it, I'm sure this isn't the first time I'd heard this, it just finally sunk in. And the person's like, there's not one solution. It's different for everybody. You gotta find the combination that's right for you. So keep on experimenting and don't give up. and it's gonna be an ongoing journey. That was like, basically that was the summation of the chapter, I'm like, Okay. So, all right. right. So stop looking for the magic bullet, go in for the journey and experience. So then I started trying more things, right? I, I did, um, you know, some EMDR and that was helpful. I've done some somatic stuff and that's been, um, helpful. I've done self-compassion work, which has been really helpful right now. I'm taking a deep dive into people pleasing and where all my people pleasing habits that I didn't realize were so deep come from in my family history and I'm, you know, I'm like, Oh, boundaries. Like, so there's just like, it's a whole gamut of tools and realizations and mindset, sh- mindset shifts. And, and, um, but anyway, the big point there is I, you know, I just had to try a lot of different things and know it's going to be different for me. So I might as well find out what's going to work for me.
1: What was, because I think this is really important. Cause I think a lot of people want to find the thing be quote fixed yeah. and move on. And there, right. there's a, and there's that kind of cultural message that that's kind of what you do. And if you're right. not fixed, then you're doing something wrong. Right. You're not trying. Cause like you were saying mindset shifts and I thought you were going to say mindset shit, you know, cause both, sometimes. Both apply. They're, they're both <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot, you know, and, and I'm, I'm wondering too, um, could even just with that said in, you know, entrepreneur startup bootstrap culture, there's kind of, there's some narratives in some of these subcultures that I think mm. have permeated even into corporate culture too. Um, but I'm, I'm curious about how those cultures have impacted the decisions you've made and how you cared for your mental health. I'd love for you maybe to get a little granular, or maybe specifically, what are some of the assumptions or judgments you've heard in those spaces right. that impacted how you cared for yourself?
0: One is from religious upbringing that was just this idea that it's like, okay, you need to do this, 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 this. And then usually it's a long list that's probably impossible to keep up with in order to be worthy to have the blessings. Right. And so I spent years before my dad said anything, just thinking when I would feel down or anxious or like, ah, it's like, oh, okay, I'm just not praying enough. I'm not whatever, like, you know, insert religious right in there. Right. And so then that just carried forward. Even after I'd extracted myself from the religion, like the religious thinking was still, and I would still get caught in this. Is like, dang it, I'm still waking up every morning with anxiety in my chest. Clearly, I'm I'm not exercising enough. My my diet's still crap, and I don't know. So to some degree, those things might still be true, but I just kept thinking in the same way that it was like I was looking for the magic bullet. I kept assuming there's some key thing I'm just not doing enough. Not not enough. Not enough. Not enough. Not enough. And therefore, I haven't merited yet any kind of healing. And that was just kind of a real, and I'm still extracting myself from that, but I can talk about it here and realize, yeah, that's one I'm definitely like trying to leave behind. Another thing that I picked up from religion was this idea that it's like, whatever you naturally want or are right now is wrong. There's probably something else you're supposed to be being, and religion and God, whatever, insert, is what's gonna tell you what that thing is that you should, and so what was that doing? All it was doing, it was cutting me off from my own intuition, checking in, when I finally figured out about like somatics and checking with my body and tapping back into that stuff, I'm like, oh, wait a second, maybe if my body is craving X, that might be a part of the thing, you know, rest, or, you know, a, a nap or whatever, that that might be the thing that is needed rather than going like, Oh, well, no, if I'm naturally, it was like I was being lazy or inadequate by just like going in a direction that felt like a natural pull to where I wanted to go. And yes, sometimes you have to do things that are hard or uncomfortable or that challenge you or go beyond what you're used to doing. Right. But you know, it was like, no, unless it's hurting, it doesn't count and it's not going to be enough to get me better. Right. Those are a couple of the (laughs) conditioning things that I've had to really wrestle with and, and, um, and overcome.
1: Unless it's hurting, it doesn't doesn't count. count. Right. I have a feeling a lot of people are going to relate to that because there's this sense of people kind of misunderstanding the difference between ease and easy, right? And that ease, and also if if you're moving out of the one thing to fix it all versus wow, I'm going to befriend my anxiety and go wow, my waking up, I'm anxious. Okay, let me check in. Hungry you know, did I get good sleep? What What do I need right now? Versus, oh, if you're feeling bad, you're doing something wrong, you're wrong, you're bad. And I think that's something that a lot of right. people get stuck in that space too. Totally. To.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And of course there's the whole just being cut off from feelings and things like that, that comes from societal, you know, that's in religion, that's in misogyny, that's in all kinds of things. Right. And, and bring being brought up as a white male in America, you know, it was like, oh, don't, don't feel your feelings too much because that's dangerous and so that that was a thing that i've had to work hard to well, come to
1: more than dangerous it would risk your belonging right it'd yes. be like oh you're, you know who do you think you are as a leader as a business owner someone i can trust and i i'm curious too how you know with you know kind of that feelings are bad you know misogyny toxic masculinity supremacy culture in general How has that shown up in the entrepreneurial startup spaces that you've been in, gosh, for well over a decade now, more than maybe coming on two decades for you? How has that impacted how you cared for your mental health? Any specific narratives from that space that have impacted how you cared for your mental health?
0: Narratives from the entrepreneurial space. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, here's one thing is that you know, in the entrepreneurial space, there's so much. I mean, I've used the, the term mindset a couple times already, and there's a lot of talk about mindset, your mindset, your mindset. So, like beliefs about money and beliefs about and these are things like, yes, I had to repattern beliefs about money, I had to repattern beliefs about what risk in life looks like. I had to repattern my employee beliefs in order to go a different route. Like, all those things are true, and I would call that mindset. The problem was that you hear that so much. I think I I really just started picking up. It's like, it's all in my mind. It's all my thoughts and it's all my beliefs. And that's a part of the equation. Yes. And this is again, where, you know, the body keeps the score of the book, right. And somatics. And I was like, Oh wait, there's this whole other part that doesn't get talked about in entrepreneurial circles that, is even more key when it comes to how you respond to things and what your triggers are and the things that might derail you when it goes, when things get tough as an entrepreneur or whatever, right? And so all the things that an entrepreneur wants to be, like be more resilient and, and push themselves to new heights, it's like, well, if all we're doing is talking about mindset, we're missing a huge part of the equation. And then there's also just, uh, because I'm in a lot of coaching circles as well you start brushing up against you know what a lot of people refer to as toxic positivity and just like oh just you you know you're just manifesting more of what you don't want it's like (laughs) i I mean okay there's something there sometimes but you know it's like it's, it's like missing a bigger picture, right?
1: Well, it seemed to be a trend as I started getting into this space. And, and when we were in the mastermind, I started seeing this trend that if there, I was going through any doubt or anyone was going through doubt or struggle, you had a mindset issue. Right. And you just need to fix it. And there was this correlation almost between this toxic theology too. There's this correlation of just pray it away or just mindset it away. There was mm-hmm. you know, right. almost this, and there wasn't space and ever there was a discomfort with sitting with the discomfort of someone else that you were leading or working with. So, you know, so if it wasn't just let's bypass it with toxic positivity, we'll bypass it with work, with drugs, with alcohol, with sex, with spending. It was all this stuff versus, you know, feel good versus normalizing the true ebbs and flows of being a business owner, um, being a human <laughs> today too. And I, I would say in some spaces in entrepreneurship, there is this uh, welcoming of discomfort. But I think in some of the spaces you were, because you were kind of in this original, a lot of the original spaces of online entrepreneur space that was riddled with not only toxic positivity, but oh, yeah. just misogyny and I'm toxic misogyny, masculinity.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, and so I suspect there was some of that that you part that was part of your working through and really sure. allowing yourself to be seen
0: sure. in yeah. that
1: space too. Um, but it's it's it, I think you and I are in circles where that we don't necessarily go in circles where that's the norm right. <laughs> anymore. Right. But it's still out there because I still you and I probably are both working with folks that are still detoxing from that. And I, I remember there's a, probably the most famous personal development coach will leave his name out because this wasn't my story but i was in a circle after a entrepreneur conference and this guy was sharing how he was with sharing his depression and this very famous coach we'll call him um pulled him over to his house threw him in his freeze dunk tank and basically kind of got in his personal space was two inches from his face talking about how those negative thoughts aren't gonna could take him over and he just needs to release them now and i'm sitting here as somebody who's worked with trauma for two decades yeah. and i'm watching this guy going oh my gosh you know and this this particular coach is, has a very big physical presence too so there's like a power over dynamic and there was no welcoming no curiosity no compassion it was we're going to power through and power over anything that isn't what I've deemed good. And yeah. that depression, anxiety is something that's bad as opposed to it's part of being human.
0: Right. And there's a there's a real thing in entrepreneurship about um not having a victim mentality. And unfortunately I think trauma responses can get conflated with, oh, you're having a victim mentality when it's like, no, this is like baked into your nervous system and really needs some attention if you want to shift it it's not just a stop going there kind of thing.
1: Well, and let's just have a moment for the victim mentality phrase that's thrown out there because like who's saying right. what to whom? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I want to call, call bullshit to that on, emphatically and is so if you're in a place where you have been victimized and you're in the place of recognizing it and healing it and you're down we don't need to yell it away, push it away, exile it away. It's what do you need yeah. from this space? What do you need from this relationship? And where are you stuck? Where What resources do you need? Instead of, again, it's that rugged individualism. Pull up your bootstraps, push it through. And, and again, I would just see that people would come – into my clinical office, face down, because they tried the three steps to break through right. your your victim mentality, and it ended up making it worse. Right. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, because the body says, hell no, this is not helpful. This is not this is making me feel worse. So, and and that's and that's still very lucrative, Jason, as you well know. Those things are still very lucrative because even the best of us, right? You're like, can I work this through in three steps? Maybe, like I, I believe you, Rebecca. But maybe there's this this really good marketing out there that says maybe this will be different because if I don't have to go through this, right. and I want to be done with it forever, maybe I'll take the three step try. Right, right. It's still it's still out there.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and I because uh, in this entrepreneur expert space, the, speaking of the profitability, it's very profitable to have a definite answer to something. Oh, do you have problem X? I've got the answer. This is the one that works. It worked for me and you have some inspiring story and so people are like, "Great, if it worked for you and you're so inspiring and I want to be like you, it's going to work for me." And then it doesn't. You think something's wrong with you and then everyone else or that person tell you, "Yeah, it must be you." And it's like or maybe it's just not right for you, right? It can like maybe it is a fine good modality, but it and it did work for them, but it doesn't mean it's automatically going to work for you but they want you know to be able to tell their inspiring story and have as many people buy into that as possible so they sell it as the one solution. And that can apply to everything from growing your business to your mental health to relationships or wealth or whatever you want, right? And, and look, like when I was more of a fledgling expert, I think I took on a lot more of that. Like, I've got the answer. This is what worked for me and it'll work for you. And I wanted to be inspiring like that, right? And now I've gotten a lot more nuance. Now I still teach principles. I still teach here's what's working but I encapsulate it all in frameworks that leave room for that person to decide how to best apply it to their goals and their ends and their values, their strengths, circumstances and whatever, right? Um, and leave room for the fact that it just might not be the right fit for that person. Maybe they need a different solution.
1: There is some growing body of research around entrepreneurs and kind of overall mental health and neurological differences and there is a higher correlation or maybe connections probably the better word, a higher mm-hmm. connection they're discovering between entrepreneurship neurodiversity right uh, and mental mental well-being and our uh, or mental health <laughs> and, and less <laughs> struggles with mental well-being and so you know we've got entrepreneur the qualities of an entrepreneur obsessive focus high risk tolerance you know Mm -hmm. isolation to kind of hunker down right high achievers right to name a few but a lot of these are correlated with depression anxiety ocd anxiety bipolar and again they're not bad but just that there's definitely something going on in biology and also probably in someone's trauma history so you got this culture saying like this, these aspects of entrepreneur culture, it's not everywhere anymore, which I'm grateful for, but these still there's spaces in it. And I think we're all still detoxing yeah. from a lot of this toxic positivity, yeah. push through rugged individualism, pathologizing, you know, not being perfect all the time. But there's this, you know, so you've got these qualities of people who are doing great things and putting great things out in the world. And, and on the other side, there's like a double-edged sword uh, between entrepreneur qualities and mental health. How do you, experience these double-edged qualities uh, specifically.
0: This is a really important point. And and this also goes back to that idea of, you know, I kept thinking, oh, if I can just find the one answer and then get rid of all the, uh, uh, then I'll be fine. And it's like, I finally came to the realization. It's like, oh, if I got rid of all these things that frustrate me, I would have to get rid of all of these other traits and strengths that I depend on and my clients and other people who hire me depend on to get things done, right? And to come up with, to, to see patterns and to have intuitive hits and whatever the case may be. It's two sides of a, of a coin. And it's helped learning more about neurodiversity has really helped with that. And you know, when I got diagnosed with um, ADHD as an adult and I started learning about executive functions and understand, oh, it's like, okay, like I can really shine in these areas and it also means that maybe I don't shine in these other areas. And what's more important is not going like, oh, I got to get rid of this. Like, okay, great. I can appreciate that. They just, they come as a package. I understand that these are, we'll call them weaknesses, I guess, if you want, or just deficiencies, whatever. And I'll just mitigate, I'll, I'll, I'll set up systems or I'll expect less of myself or I'll communicate in different ways to, to help. It not affect others as much as it could. My whatever, like, and so I just I can work against the weaknesses, leverage the the strengths, and um, and so that's yeah, a huge understanding to to come to, and and then also yeah, change my perspective the entire journey because now I'm not seeking to just completely rid myself of all executive function deficiency and anxiety and depression and stuff because it's first of all it's just part of life, but also second of all, yeah, okay, so I have some predispositions or whatever right in my in my setup and that's just my package of stuff that i i'm i have in life to to live with and and make the most of so i work a lot with my clients and helping them find you know what i kind of collectively refer to as unique genius which considered con- consists of a lot of things and i think we all have that to some degree you know it, it's talents perspectives nature and nurture give it to us and whatever and pretty much invariably there's always some other side of the coin right like maybe you've got this positivity strength that shows up amazing as a cheerleader for people at these times and they really appreciate it uh, and then at other times it's annoying to people because you're so positive and like you just have to learn to like okay when do i turn the strength up and when do i maybe just like not do it as just like a kind of a random example but um and so that's yeah that's been a key part of a key realization
1: mm. I appreciate you sharing that nuance, and I really hope that folks listening really, you know, t- take that the part because there's a vulnerability in being misunderstood. I think that that's where it comes over. So we don't want to lose our belonging, our community, our reputation. We don't want to be misunderstood. Those things are huge, and and they. But if we lead from those fears, then we're missing out on living in our like. Our authenticity—I know that's a big word—but we're, you know, and it's being honest. Yeah. We're missing. We're, we're not being honest, and I think that's so important. So, I'm curious. I want to wrap up a little bit, talking about success. Cool. I'm curious about your your view of success now. What does it look like for you today, and how is it different from what you were taught?
0: So, I, I'm still on a day by day basis working on, um, you know, success feeling like it's attached to you know the, the the like tangible things like the monetary and providing and and certain you know just trappings of what success might look like and that's still an ongoing thing now in a more broad sense you know i've definitely learned um as i've learned more about myself and tapped more into who i am and you know what makes me happy i i definitely put more time and effort and stock into um, my relationships and do I, the time I spend with my daughter or, um, you know, am I pursuing my curiosity on a regular basis? Because I know that that feeds me and makes me happy. One of the best things I've realized for my mental health in the last year is that pretty much every single night after my daughter's in bed, I go into the backyard and, I, um, you know, I I look at the stars if it's clear or I'll like watch, I love watching videos on YouTube about like physics and the theory of relativity and space. I mean, I've loved this stuff since I was a kid. And And that part of that is like reconnecting. It's like, wow, I always loved that when I was a kid. Why is that not a part? And so I'm bringing that back into my life. Right. And that's a, that's a marker of success for me. It's like, I don't know, like, is that going to immediately make me money or, or bring an opportunity or I don't know, have some like other than it really brings me a lot of joy to just like go down the rabbit hole on black holes or whatever. And, and giving myself that then feeds my curiosity, feeds my awe, feeds, brings novelty in my life, which then I think does, does bleed into other things, even if, um, you know, not directly or obviously. So I guess, It's realizing, okay, well, here are the things that really matter to me most and make me happy. And I'm making more time for those as opposed to thinking, well, unless I've worked eight hours today or unless I sold a certain amount this week or unless whatever, you know, as a provider I've done, then it feels like I haven't done anything. I have no worth or whatever, like which are the thoughts that creep up sometimes, unfortunately.
1: For sure. Well, this is our, you know, it's our culture. Um, So you're saying, Jason, not everything has to be monetized. Yeah, because I
0: (laughs) love helping people monetize their ideas and expertise. Not everything needs to be monetized, (laughs) exactly.
1: Awesome. I want to wrap up with some fun, quick-fire questions, okay? Okay? So what are you reading right
0: now? Um, I am reading actually two books I'm listening to. Um, One is called The Future of Humanity, which is all about where we're going in space and how we might actually get to mars and beyond eventually so it's just fascinating written by a theoretic theoretical physicist and then another ones going in the opposite direction called sapiens about where we've come as humans and how we evolved and how culture came about and there's just so much interesting insight into like culture today and humans and how we are the way we are and uh both have been quite fascinating
1: oh good ones to look into what song are you playing on
0: repeat? I never play songs on repeat. It drives me nuts to play songs on repeat. Um, and sometimes my daughter will do it. I'm like, okay, we really need to change to. So you know, it'll be to the point. That it's like, if I, sometimes if I like turn a wrong direction, I don't want to go back the same direction. I'll find another way. Like repetition has always been this thing that just hits my brain weird. My, my, Worst nightmare is the ice cream truck out here in the summer that played the <laughs> same fricking song over and over. So I have no answer for that question right now. Oh but, my gosh, uh, I'll take that. I do That's like a lot of music awesome. and I've actually been going back to a lot in the last couple of weeks, going back to a lot of nostalgic nineties alternative back to my like college days.
1: Best TV show or movie you've seen recently.
0: Ooh, okay. Um, let's see. I just finished last night one called Particle Fever, which is about the Large Hadron Collider in Europe huge physics experiment and they finally discovered this thing called the higgs boat i'm not going to go into the geeky science but it's this particle that's a key part of how physics and our entire universe work and it was theorized in the 60s and finally in 2012 they turned this thing on and they collected enough data that they proved its existence and the man in his 80s who thought in his lifetime he theorized it, he, he would never see the proof of his theory ever in fact he was mocked for it he got he got to be there when they announced it, and he won the the Nobel Prize the next year. So it was pretty cool to watch that whole story of these people bringing about probably the biggest yeah breakthrough in physics in our in our lifetime.
1: And that's that's a story of sticking with something. Yeah, wow. So, article whole- Beaver,
0: you can watch it on YouTube for free. Actually,
1: what is your mantra right now?
0: My mantra, uh, I definitely remind myself a lot about. Um, self compassion, (laughs) like Mm -hmm. telling trying, yeah, trying to notice even in just like the micro ways with my tone or a word choice that, you know, I throw myself under the bus or put myself down or or in critical of my and just like noticing that and then, you know, trying to choose different words or just speak out loud to myself in a different way. So self compassion has been a big mantra lately. Nice.
1: What is an unpopular opinion you hold?
0: Oh, my goodness. Well, I, I have this weird dichotomy in my, in my beliefs. So I, I've been all over. I'll try to make this very brief. I've been all over the political spectrum. I told you I grew up religious. So that was very, like, right-wing. And I'm, you know, much more, I think, what you'd call liberal in my viewpoints now these days. However, there's this conflict in my brain about the fact that governments only exist by having a monopoly on violence, which inherently feels immoral. Right? Like, in the end, it's through violence that we enforce. But as humans, we are incapable of living any other way. So I, i'm I, you know, i'm I'm not like, hey, we should be in anarchy tomorrow with no government and some other form of thing because I don't think we would survive it as human beings, right? And I don't know how to negotiate that in my brain. And certainly when I bring that up, it twists people and and suddenly questions like, well, what about this? What about schools? what about roads? I'm like, I don't know, some really smart people have tried to theorize about how we might like do things differently. I don't know, I'm just saying philosophically, this is something that I contend with, and I don't think I'll see the solution in my lifetime because we're just not evolving fast enough for that. And it doesn't seem to jive with my actual politics of today, right? Because I also feel like we need to take care of each other and we need social safety and we like all these other things and we need human rights and we need, so I, I don't know. It's, so there's an unpopular conflicting opinion.
1: There we go, I, I, appreciate I, I appreciate that, I appreciate that who or what inspires you to be a better leader and human?
0: Well, I mean, an easy answer I think would be Brene Brown because we're both big fans of hers and she's done such great research in this area, right? And written lots of good stuff. So I definitely look at not only her work, but how she's gone about it at a meta level as well. It's very inspiring for me. Um, I also, I'm very, I'm very inspired by scientists right now. And this is just because this is where I'm, you know, what I've been consuming a lot. Right. And so like, I watch these shows and, like, you know, Einstein, for instance, and he just, you know, he just had such a different way of thinking and just these little thought experiments and suddenly made an intuitive leap that led to like one of the biggest breakthroughs in all of our understanding of the universe. And there's others like him, right? And so I get really inspired because it's non-conventional thinking, being willing to go against what everyone else, and even in the in the face of like people saying like, that's not how it works. That's not how it, you know, which if we're going to solve all this mental health stuff, we've got to go against a lot of conventional thinking right now. Right. So that's always human progress is always going to be counter to a whole lot of conventional thinking that needs to go, you know, away. So I get inspired by scientists because they're doing that all the time in terms of, you know just making mistakes and trying this and trying that and then they're wrong and they're like great we'll try that instead and so i think that's really cool and you can apply it to everything else in life too not just science
1: not beholden to certainty right staying curious and testing and staying the course with that i appreciate that so much jason this has been a really great conversation and one that i've wanted to have since i launched the podcast so i am so grateful you took the time to talk with me today where can people find you if they want to connect with you
0: yeah you can go to jasonvanorden.com is my website if you want to check out my work and what i do or feel free to email me i don't have a whole lot about the i mean i've written some articles on my site but you know i'm always happy to chat about the mental health stuff or whatever if any of this has inspired anyone you can email me jason jason van and i'm uh i'm most active on linkedin if somebody's looking for a social media place to to connect with me so that's that's where you would find me these days not so much on facebook or instagram or tiktok or any of those right now (laughs) For my mental health.
1: (laughs) (laughs) For your mental health, and support that. Thank you again, Jason. This was a real pleasure.
0: Yeah, it's been a great conversation. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Becca.
1: I see often how many aspects of corporate and entrepreneurial cultures sell the results of overcoming messages and of their hacks and programs that make no room for future struggles and lapses, which are 100 percent common and frankly, inevitable. So from this mindset, this toxic mindset, it becomes a moral failing instead of part of being human when people struggle and lapse. Now, there are a lot of external constraints that also wear us down. It's not just an individual issue. But I believe this inner work as an on ramp to make the changes we want to see in the world is necessary. And I know many of you are wondering how to support those in your community in a meaningful way. Share with me that your fear of making space for feelings may overwhelm you or not be, quote, professional. Listen, making mental health a priority is key. And how you approach mental well-being can shift the stigmas around struggle while honoring the whole person, with as much care as your bottom line. And Jason taught us that by leaning into vulnerability and authenticity and how that helped him foster the courage to speak up about his mental health struggles, which resulted in a big impact on many who felt less alone and more open about reclaiming their own mental health story. So I'm curious what toxic beliefs or narratives from personal and professional development spaces kept you feeling ashamed from not being Fix quickly? And what are some things you can do to reclaim your mental health story? What does support look like for you as you seek to cultivate mental health in the spaces you live and lead? When you prioritize mental well being, you're looking at how you work and your expectations of others. You don't glorify burnout, instead, you want to prevent it. You don't pursue overcoming, instead, you seek prevention care and flexibility and this is the work of an unburdened leader leading is hard leading is also often controversial as you navigate staying aligned to your values your mission your boundaries navigating the inevitable controversy can challenge your confidence clarity and calm but i know you don't mind making the hard decisions but sometimes The stakes seem higher, especially around mental health, and it can bring up echoes of old doubts and insecurities during times when you need to feel rock solid on your plan and action. Finding a coach who gets the nuances of your business and leading in our complex polarized world can help you identify the blocks that keep you playing it safe and small, especially when you want to cultivate and normalize mental health struggles in the spaces that you lead and live. Now leading today is not a fancy title or fluffy bragging rights. It is brave and bold work to stay the course when the future is so unknown and the doubts and pains from the past keep showing up to shake things up. Internal emotional practices and systemic strategies are needed to keep the protector of cynicism at bay and foster a hope that is actionable and aligned. When the stakes are high and you don't want to lose focus. When you want to navigate inevitable conflict between your ears and with those you lead. When time is of the essence and you want to make hard decisions with confidence and clarity. Then Unburdened Leader Coaching is for you and where you deepen the capacity to tolerate the vulnerability of change, innovation, and doing things differently than the status quo. And that's what's going to be needed as we start to really destigmatize and normalize and cultivate spaces that welcome mental health struggles without sacrificing profit to start your unburdened leader coaching process with me, go to www.rebeccaching.com and book a free connection call. I can't wait to hear from you. Thank you so much for joining this episode of the unburdened leader. You can find this episode show notes, ways to sign up for the unburdened weekly email and find free unburdened leader resources along with ways to work with me at www.rebeccaching.com and if you liked this episode and it was particularly impactful please i'd encourage you i'd be so grateful for you to go leave a review leave a testimonial and please share this with those you think might benefit from it thank you so much